Howdy, everybody. The following is a Republic Keepers recorded discussion with Chaplain Raymond, our Attorney General for the Republic State of Texas. We've been going over a book called The Authority of Law by Charles A. Wiseman, and for the last several days we've been in a court case, discussing a court case, uh, State of Minnesota as the plaintiff versus John R. Smith, the accused. We're on pages 56 and ended on page 61. Hope you enjoy. Today is Wednesday, um, March the 9th, 2011. We're continuing the study of the Minnesota court case on, uh, with a motion to dismiss because of subject matter, lack of subject matter jurisdiction. And we're on the uh, ninth page, I think, page 56 in the in the manual. We're at section four, and beginning there, laws must be published and recorded with enacting clauses. This is written for the judge. Since it has been repeatedly held that an enacting clause must appear on the face of the law. Such a requirement affects the printing and publishing of laws. The fact that the Constitution requires all laws to have an enacting clause makes it a requirement on not just bills within the legislature, but on published laws as well. If the Constitution said all bills shall have an enacting clause, it probably could be said that their use in publications would not be required. But the historical usage and application of an enacting clause has been for them to be printed and published along with the body of the law, thus appearing on the face of the law. It is obvious, then, that the enacting clause must be readily visible on the face of a statute in the common mode in which it is published so that citizens don't have to search through the legislative journals or other records and books to see the kind of clause used or if any exists at all. In regards to the validity of a law that was found in their statute books with a defective enacting clause, the Supreme Court of Nevada held, our Constitution expressly provided that the enacting clause of every law shall be, quote, the people of the state of Nevada, represented in Senate and Assembly, do enact as follows, unquote. This language is susceptible of but one interpretation. There is no doubtful meaning as to the intention. It is, in our judgment, an imperative mandate of the people in their sovereign capacity to the legislature requiring that all laws to be binding upon them shall, upon their face, express the authority by which they were enacted. And since this act comes to us without such authority appearing upon its face, it is not law. And that's from a case in the state of Nevada v. Rogers, 1875. The manner in which the law came to the court 
was by the way it was found in the statute book, cited by the court as statute 1875-66. And that is how they judged the validity of the law. Since they saw that the act, it was as it was printed in the statute book, had an insufficient enacting clause on its face, it was deemed to be not a law. It is only by inspecting the publicly printed statute book that the people can determine the source, authority, and constitutional authenticity of the law they are expected to follow. It should be noted that laws in the above cases were held to be void for having no enacting clauses, despite the fact they were published in an official statute book of the state and were next to other laws which had the proper enacting clauses. The preceding examples and declarations on the use and purpose of enacting clauses shows beyond doubt that nothing can be called or regarded as law of this state which is published without an enacting clause on its face. Nothing can exist as a state law except in the manner prescribed by the state constitution. One of those provisions is that all laws must bear on their face a specific enacting style be enacted by the legislature of the state of Minnesota, Minnesota Constitution, Article 4, Section 13. All laws must be published with this clause in order to be valid laws. And since the statutes in the Minnesota statutes are not so published, they are not valid laws of this state. The laws referenced to in the complaints contain no title. The laws listed in the complaints in question, as cited from the Minnesota statute, contain no titles. All laws are to have titles indicating the subject matter of the law, as required by the Constitution of Minnesota. Repeating here, Article 4, Section 27, no law shall embrace more than one subject, which shall be expressed in its title. By this provision, a title is required to be on all laws. The title is another one of the forms of a law required by the Constitution. This type of constitutional provision makes the title an essential part of every law. Thus, the title is as much a part of the act as the body itself. This is in Leninger v. Alger. The title to a legislative act is a part thereof and must clearly express the subject of legislation. That's State v. Burlington and M. Railroad Company. Nearly all legal authorities have held that the title is part of the act, especially when a constitutional provision for a title exists. 37 ALR annotated, pages 948 and 949. What then can be said of a law 
in which an essential part of it is missing, except that it is not a law under the state constitution. This provision of the state constitution, providing that every law is to have a title expressing one subject, is mandatory and is to be followed in all laws as stated by the Supreme Court of Minnesota. The Supreme Court pointed out that our constitutional debates indicated that the constitutional requirements relating to enactment of statutes were intended to be remedial and mandatory. Remedial as guarding against recognized evils arising from loose and dangerous methods of conducting legislation and mandatory as requiring compliance by the legislature without discretion on its part to protect the public interest against such recognized evils, and that the validity of statutes should depend on compliance with such requirements. The constitutional provisions for a title have been held in many other states to be mandatory in the highest sense. We have the State versus Beckman in Missouri. We have Leninger versus Alger in Michigan. We have the 82 Corpus Juris Secundum Statutes, Section 64. The provision for a title in the Constitution renders a title indispensable. That's 33 American Jurisprudence 2nd, Statutes, Section 99, page 325 saying people v. Monroe. Since such provisions regarding a title are mandatory and indispensable, the existence of a title is necessary to the validity of the act. If a title does not exist, then it is not a law, pursuant to Article 4, Section 27 of the Constitution of Minnesota, dated 1857. In speaking of the constitutional provision requiring one subject to be embraced in the title of each law, the Supreme Court of Tennessee stated, that requirement of the organic law is mandatory, and unless obeyed in every instance, the legislation attempted is invalid and of no effect whatever. To determine the validity of citing laws in a client complaint, which have we must also look at the purpose for this constitutional provision and the evils and problems which it was intended to prevent or defeat. One of the aims and purposes for a title or caption to an act is to convey to the people who are to obey it the legislative intent behind the law. The Constitution has made the title the conclusive index to the legislative intent as to what shall have operation. In ruling as to the precise meaning of the language employed in a statute, nothing, as we have said before, is more pertinent towards ascertaining the true intention of the legislative mind in the passage of the enactment 
than the legislature's own interpretation of the scope and purpose of the act as contained in the caption. Under a constitutional provision requiring the subject of the legislation to be expressed in the title, that portion of the act is often the very window through which the legislative intent may be seen. The, excuse me. I lost my place, excuse me. The title of an act. Yeah, the title of an act is necessarily a part of it. And in construing the act, the title should be taken into the consideration. Without the title, the intent of the legislature is concealed or cloaked from the public view. Yet a specific purpose or function of a title to a law is to protect the people against covert legislation. A title will reveal or give notice to the public of the general character of the legislation. However, the nature and intent of the laws in the Minnesota statutes have been concealed and made uncertain by its non-use of titles. The true nature of the subject matter of the laws therein is not made clear without titles. Thus, another purpose of the title is to apprise the people of the nature of legislation, thereby preventing fraud or deception in regard to the laws they are to follow. The U.S. Supreme Court, in determining the purpose of such a provision in state constitution, said, the purpose of the constitutional provision is to prevent the inclusion of incongruous and unrelated matters in the same measure and to guard against inadvertence, stealth, and fraud in legislation. Courts strictly enforce such provisions in cases that fall within the reasons on which they rest and hold that in order to warrant the setting aside of enactments for failure to comply with the rule the violation must be substantial and plain. The complete omission of a title is about as substantial and plain in a violation of this constitutional provision as can exist. The laws cited in the complaints and against the accused are of that nature. They have no titles at all and thus are not laws under our state constitution. The Supreme Court of Idaho, in construing the purpose for its constitutional provision, requiring a one-subject title on all laws, stated, the object of the title is to give a general statement of the subject matter, and as a general statement will be sufficient to include all provisions of the Act having a reasonable connection with the subject matter mentioned. The object or purpose of the clause in the Constitution is to prevent the perpetration of fraud upon the members of the legislature 
for the citizens of the state in the enactment of laws. The Supreme Court of North Dakota, in speaking on its constitutional provision requiring titles on laws, stated that this provision is intended to prevent all surprises or misapprehensions on the part of the public. The Supreme Court of Minnesota, in speaking on Article 4, Section 27 of the State Constitution, said, This section of the Constitution is designed to prevent deception as to the nature or subject of legislative enactments. The purpose of the constitutional provision quoted is to prevent misleading or deceiving the public as to the nature of an act by the title given it. The purposes of the constitutional provision requiring a one-subject title and the mischiefs which it was designed to prevent are defeated by the lack of such a title on the face of a law which a citizen is charged with violating. Upon looking at the laws charged in the complaint from the Minnesota statutes, I am left asking, what is the subject and nature of the laws used in the complaints against me? What interest or rights are those laws intended to affect? Since the particular objects of the provision requiring a one-subject title are defeated by the publication of laws which are completely absent of title, the use of such a publication to indict or charge citizens with violating such laws is fraudulent and obnoxious to the Constitution. It is to prevent surreptitious, inconsiderate, and misapprehended legislation carelessly, inadvertently, or unintentionally enacted through stealth and fraud and similar abuses that the subject or object of the law is required to be stated in the title. Judge Cooley says that the object of requiring a title is to fairly apprise the people through such publication of legislative proceedings as is usually made of the subjects of legislation that are being considered. The state constitution requires one subject titles. The particular ends to be accomplished by requiring the title of a law are not fulfilled in the statutes referred to in the Minnesota statutes. Thus, the laws charged in the complaints against me are not valid laws. Section 6. The Minnesota statutes are of an unknown and uncertain authority. The so-called statutes in the Minnesota statutes are not only absent in acting clauses, but are surrounded by other issues and facts which make their authority unknown or uncertain 
or questionable. The title page of the Minnesota statutes states that the statutes therein were compiled, edited, and published by the Reviser of Statutes of Minnesota. It does not say that they are the official laws of the legislature of Minnesota. The official laws of this state have always been listed in the session laws of Minnesota. The title page to the session laws makes it clear as to the nature of the laws therein, to wit. Session laws of the state of Minnesota passed during the 44th session of the state legislature. The Minnesota statute states that Minnesota revised statutes must not be cited, enumerated, or otherwise treated as a session law. The session laws were also published by the Secretary of State, who historically and constitutionally is in possession of the enrolled bills of the legislature which become state law. The Constitution of Minnesota, Article 4, Section 11, requires that every bill which passes both the Senate and House and is signed by the Governor is to be deposited in the office of the Secretary of State for preservation. Thus, in this state, as in nearly all states, all official laws, records, and documents are universally recognized by their being issued or published by the Secretary of State. The Minnesota statutes are published by the Reviser of Statutes and are also copyrighted by him or his office. The session laws were never copyrighted, as they are true public documents. In fact, no true public document of this state or any state or of the United States has been or can be under a copyright. Public documents are in the public domain. A copyright infers a private right over the contents of a book, suggesting that the laws in the Minnesota statutes are derived from a private source, and thus are not true public laws. The reviser of statutes in the preface to his statute book called Minnesota Statutes points out the difference in the various types of arrangement of laws and states the following. In order to understand and use statutory law, it is necessary to know the meaning of the terms used and the inclusiveness and authority of the laws found in the various arrangements. The terms laws, acts, statutes, revisions, compilations, and codes are often used indiscriminately but in the following discussion, each has a specific meaning. The reviser then proceeds to point out the difference that exists between the session laws and that of a compilation, revision, or codes. He makes it apparent that the session laws are of a different authority than that of compilations, revisions, and codes. The Minnesota the statutes are apparently a revision, 
which was first published in 1945. The Minnesota statutes appear to be nothing more than a reference book like Dunnell Minnesota Digest or West Minnesota Statutes Annotated, which are also copyrighted. The contents of such reference books cannot be used as law in charging citizens with crimes on criminal complaints. The reviser does not say that the statutes in his book are the official laws of the state of Minnesota. He indicates that these statutes are only, in theory, laws of the state. There thus are many confusing and ambiguous statements made by the reviser as to the nature and authority of the statutes, the Minnesota statutes. It is not at all made certain that they are laws pursuant to Article 4 of the Constitution of Minnesota. That which is uncertain cannot be accepted as true or valid in law. Uncertain things are held for nothing maxim of law. The law requires not conjecture, but certainty. Coffin v. Ogden. Where the law is uncertain, there is no law. Bovier's, Bovier's Law Dictionary. Maxim, 1880 edition. The purported statutes in the Minnesota statutes do not make it clear by what authority they exist. The statutes therein have no enacting authority on their face. In fact, there is not a hint that the legislature of Minnesota had anything at all to do with these so-called statute books. Thus, the statutes used against the accused are just idle words which carry no authority of any kind on their face. How are we doing on time? Uh, this might be a good place to stop. We've got one, two, three, four, maybe four and a half pages left before the end of this okay. case. So we'll be able to go over the motion caveat at the end. Okay. Have we got uh, any questions up through section six on page 60? Did anybody learn anything new? Just a moment, please. Can you? Oh, am I on? Yes. About the title having one subject, is is that a hard fast rule in this state of Texas? If not, it should be. The old laws, it is. Okay. Some of the laws are only one paragraph law. Fill up a fourth of a page. Oh yeah, that's why. I must saw I saw some of those. From my discussion with Chris this morning, who is looking up this case, 
and working for the Texans for us, it is absolutely imperative that all of these laws have this one statement. By the way, the Texas laws and revised laws do not have it. Mm, no. Does he want to become a sovereign in the state of Texas? Uh, we're going to, I'm going to attempt to get him on tomorrow. Uh, wait till we get done the recording because I need to ask you something about Skype. So wait till we get done there. Uh, okay. Yes, but one uh, simple titles because when we begin to combine subject matter, we confuse the issue, and it's designed to deceive and then not and destroy the subject matter jurisdiction defense. And that is considered an evil that is unconscionable. Revisers do it all the time. Okay, if there's no more comments, we'll go ahead and shut off the recording. Okay.